Good morning and welcome to the Connection Point program. It's good to have you with us today. This morning, you're going to see a message that I gave to our church a few weeks ago, uh, specifically relating to some of the challenges that our church is facing. But this message is applicable more broadly than that. It's applicable to any obstacles that we're facing in our lives, uh, obstacles of a financial nature, obstacles of a relational nature, obstacles with health that we may be facing. Uh, they encourage us to exercise faith no matter what is happening. And we're going to return to some of the great stories in the Old Testament, uh, starting with the story of Joshua and Caleb, in order to encourage us and inspire us as we face various giants in our own lives, encouraging us to turn towards God. I hope you enjoy this message. So I'd like just to share with you this morning uh, three stories in the Old Testament, uh, pretty simple and pretty well-known stories. Uh, and, and I don't really have anything to add to them. I just want to walk through, make a couple of observations about them. And after each one, we'll sing a song of response. Uh, is that okay? A little bit different? But we'll sing a song just to respond to what God is teaching us through each of these particular stories. So let's start in Numbers 13. Numbers 13, and uh, here is a time in the life of the nation of Israel when uh, they're right at the edge of the promised land, just about to go into the land. God has promised them this incredible piece of real estate on the edge of the Mediterranean. And he says to uh, Moses, who's leading Israel at the time, he says, send into the land a few scouts and uh, suss out the territory. Figure out what the opposition's going to be when we go into the land. Figure out who's going to be there and, and what kind of adversity we're going to face. So Moses sends out 12 scouts into the land. They go on a little scouting mission and they come back. They bring back some fruit from the land. They bring back a pretty detailed report about exactly who they see there and what the size and shape of the challenge is going to be. And 10 of these 12 scouts bring back this particular report. Uh, in Numbers 13, verse 27, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But, here's the, here's the but, the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there, and on they go about all the different uh, obstacles. Uh, what's happened here really is these scouts have gone into the land and they've scoped out the territory, and uh, understandably they've, they've encountered a lot of adversity. Later on they say to Moses and the Israelites, they say, we seem like grasshoppers in the eyes of these giants. And, uh, and we seem the same to us, just like little grasshoppers running around in the face of these huge opponents. And that's what their senses encountered. That's what they saw, these fortified cities. They saw these huge giants. They saw incredible adversity, and, they, and their hearts just melted with fear. And so it is with us. I think where we are in the life of our church, where we are as individuals and as families, we're encountering some pretty big giants. We're encountering some pretty big financial giants right now, some economic giants, some pretty well-fortified cities and uh, that stand against us. And it's very easy to be shaken by that. It's very easy to allow our faith to be shaken, to allow ourselves to feel, uh, feel a lot of fear. And that's understandable because of the giants that we face in this land. But there was a different voice that came through that day. When these scouts returned from the scouting mission, there were two people that brought a different report, that brought a better word than the one these scouts had brought. And their names were Joshua and Caleb. And they say this in verse 30. They say, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we certainly can do it. Here you've got two guys. They saw the same giants. They were in the same situation. They encountered exactly the same opposition, but they saw the situation completely differently. They had a completely different perspective on this whole thing. Why? 
Well, they say so later on. In verse uh, 8, they say, If the Lord is pleased with us, He will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and He will give it to us. That's what makes all the difference, friends. If the Lord is pleased with us. If God's not involved, if God's aloof, if He's indifferent to the future of our church and our future as individuals and families, then we are dead in the water. We have no hope and we might as well go home now. It's going to be an absolute slaughter and we've got absolutely no chance of winning. But if God is pleased with us, if God is leading us as a church, if God is moving out ahead of us, if God has already gone before us and already defeated our enemies and already given us land that He wants us to have, if God has already set apart a building that He wants us to have and is now simply asking us to step out faithfully and obediently, trusting Him in that, then who are we to say it's too hard? Who are we to say it can't be done? Who are we to say the times are too difficult? Friends, there isn't a recession in heaven right now. There's no economic crisis in heaven, and that needs to be our focus. If we store up treasures on earth, then our hearts will, will be shaken and, and our fortress will crumble. But if we keep our eyes fixed, not on the size of our problems, but on the size of our God, He will lead us faithfully forward. It's not being reckless. It's not being irresponsible. It's not being idealistic and naive. It's simply saying, God is leading us here. This is not just a natural thing. This is not just facts and figures and money and real estate agents. Uh, this is not just a television ministry and, and, and transmission costs and editing and so on. Those things are all in the natural. Those are the things we see with our eyes and hear with our ears. But beyond that, there is a spiritual dimension to this whole thing. God is leading us forward. And friends, if He is pleased with us, if He is for us, who can be against us? If God is on our side, it doesn't matter what the world throws at us. There's always going to be giants. There's always going to be difficulties. There's always, if we were in the, a, a massive economic boom, then we'd be complaining that the property prices are too high and the interest rates are too high. We're never going to be able to have it both ways. And friends, there's always going to be adversity. There's always going to be opposition. And really, scripturally, that's not the point and that's not the focus. The point is, what has God spoken? What is God intending to do? And is God going ahead of us? And is He leading us? And does He have the power to bring this about? That needs to be our focus. That needs to be our hearts. It needs to be our focus as individuals as we strike really, really tough times, that our hearts are gripped by the power and the might and the majesty and the sovereignty of God. He's still on the throne. He's still leading us. He's still got history in His hands, and He'll lead us faithfully into all that He has for us if we will just faithfully step out and obey and trust His deliverance. Amen? Another great story of faith in the Old Testament is the story of Gideon, whom God instructed to go and defeat this massive army of Midianites that was oppressing Israel. This is a story that reminds us of the importance of exercising dependence on God. It's not comfortable for us to do that because we want to be in control. But the story of Gideon teaches us the value of placing ourselves in a position of dependence and trust and waiting on God to come through for us rather than relying on our own strength. Judges chapter 6. Next story we're going to look at. And here again is a, a moment in Israel's history where the nation's pretty much at an all-time low. Uh, this happened a lot in Israel. And they were, they were down. They had been defeated by a, a nation called Midian. The Midianites had uh, trampled them and, and really destroyed the national hopes of Israel. And people were feeling pretty deflated. They were feeling pretty defeated. They were feeling pretty low in this time. And I suppose that's the way a lot of us can feel 
uh, sometimes when, when things get on top of us, whether the elections went uh, the way you thought they were going to go this week or not, uh, whether the uh, finances uh, are coming right for you or not, we can often feel pretty weak, we can often feel pretty defeated, we can often feel quite deflated by some of the forces that stand against us as people and as a church. And in the midst of this situation, you have a guy named Gideon. And uh, an angel of the Lord appears to Gideon. And he addresses him this way. He says in verse 12 of Judges 6, When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I love the way God just addresses Gideon and starts breathing hope back into his bones straight away. He didn't call him Gideon. He didn't call him, hey, you. He said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Straight away, God comes and just starts breathing hope back into his people. Starts addressing them as a mighty warrior. Starts giving them a reason to believe that they can do great things again. And God says to Gideon, I want you to go and I want you to defeat the Midianites. I want you to rescue Israel out of Midian's hand. Uh, and of course, Midian has massive power. They're calling all the shots. And Israel is just this feeble, flailing little militia army. And uh, Gideon responds to God with uh, some words that, that probably to us seem pretty understandable and pretty appropriate. Uh, verse 13, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. In other words, uh, say what? Uh, he says, uh, why has all this happened to us? Uh, where are all the wonders that our ancestors told us about? Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and give us, given us into the hand of Midian? And uh, God replies to Gideon and again says to him, I want you to go. Am I not sending you? And then Gideon says again, verse 15, pardon me, uh, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. That sound familiar? Easy to feel that way, isn't it? Easy to feel that way. You know, we're weak and we don't have much strength and power. And I guess we could feel that way as a church as well. We could compare ourselves to other churches around town and say, hey, we're not the biggest in town and we don't have the biggest number of people and we don't have the land and buildings and uh, we don't have heaps of assets and we don't have a huge, uh, massive budget and, you know, we're kind of, we're, you know, here we are. This is just us. We meet in a school and we could, we could convince ourselves of the fact that, that we are kind of among the weak and the least and all of that and get ourselves in that kind of headspace as we so often can. And just as Gideon did to God saying, oh, I'm the least. There's no way I can do this task that you've called me to. But God again says to him, Gideon, I want you to go. Am I not sending you? <coughs> That's what makes all the difference. If God's not sending us, then there's no point going. But if God is sending us, then it uh, is incumbent on us to step forward into that. And God calls Gideon to go and assemble his fighting men and take this army of, uh, of Midian. So Gideon gets together uh, 30,000 warriors, 30,000 soldiers, which sounds like a lot of people, but it probably paled in comparison to how many the Midianite army had. So they were already looking at a pretty sound defeat, you would imagine. Uh, and so Gideon gets all of these people together and, and they assemble and this is early in chapter 7 of, of Judges and God says to Gideon, I think this must be one of the most incredible statements in the scriptures, as Gideon's got these 30,000 people there, God says to him, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now you, you, you have to wonder what Gideon thought at this point. You know, he's like, sorry, did I hear you right there? You, surely you mean you need more men. Surely I need more warriors. I mean, another 10,000, 20,000, 100,000 would have been really helpful for Gideon at this point. More warriors, more, more uh, armor, more weapons. All of that would have been very, very useful. And God says to him, no, uh, you've, you've got too many. Uh, you've got far too many people here, really. I, I can't save you with this many. Otherwise, you're going to turn around and boast against me that you did it yourself. I mean, just think about this. For a this would be like God saying to us as a church, 
Uh, you've got too many people. I can't give you a property. I can't carry on this TV ministry with so many people and so much money. Why don't you uh, go out there and make yourselves objectionable to the community or something in there? You know, whittle down your numbers uh, to about 50 or so, and uh, give give most of your church budget away to to the poor until you've got maybe 20 bucks in the bank, and then I will then I'll bring you this new building. Then I'll carry on the TV. I mean, it's just so ludicrous, isn't it? This is just completely counter the way we think. And it's healthy to be reminded that this is actually the God we serve. He does stuff like this. He pulls these kind of stunts. Uh, he's, you know, we, we reduce God down to the size of our own problems, don't we? we? We remake him in our image. Who was it that said God made us in his image and we've been returning the favor ever since? <laughs> you know, we, we just bring him down to this, we're this feeble little de- deity that can just do uh, maybe things that are a little bit too hard for us, but he can't really manage that much. We forget that this is God. God loves, throughout the Bible, to stack the odds against himself. He does it. It's almost like he's laughing up in heaven. You know, you remember with Elijah the prophet and, and trying to ignite fire from this altar and God deliberately pours water on it, you know, just to make sure there's absolutely no chance that this thing's ever going to catch a light, and then he does the impossible. And he does it here with Gideon. With, uh, he whittles down Gideon's troops to 300 men, at which point it's not even a battle. It's just an absolute slaughter. It's completely reckless and completely irresponsible. And God leads Gideon and his men straight into that, uh, that battle, and he gives them uh, Midian into their hands. He wins an incredible victory. And what this says to me about God is that he loves putting his people in a place of dependence on him. He loves putting us in a place of weakness where all we have is him. And you would have to say as you look around and as you, as you contemplate your own life that we have all but reduced the need for real faith in our lives, wouldn't you say? I mean, I mean, you could argue, I guess, that it takes faith, you know, when you're driving your car, that, that, that the car's going to go, and it takes faith that you're sitting on your seat, that it's not going to fall over, and so on. But you really wonder, uh, the, the, the type of faith that Gideon had, the faith of Abraham, and, and the Joshua and Caleb's, the great stories that you read in Hebrews 11, uh, do we really come anywhere near? Is there any, even a shadow of that in our 21st century Western lives? I think we've squeezed most of it out. We, we are so self-sufficient. We are so planned. We start so much with what we can already afford and what we can already do and how much we can manage with the small amount of resources we have, we really leave very little room for God to come and do something extraordinary, to do something flat out impossible. And God loves it when his people are brought to a place, sometimes not even of their own choosing, of real dependence, real weakness. And I think while God doesn't like the fact that that, that a lot of people are struggling financially right now, there is something about a recession that God loves. And it's that it's forcing people to depend on him like never before. It's forcing followers of Christ to have a lot stripped away so that we have very little else but to cry out to God. And it's not that he likes to see his people hurting, but he does like us to turn to him when all we have is him. He loves it when we just have to bet the whole lot on him, put all our eggs in his basket, that if God doesn't come through for us, there is no plan B. God loves weakness. He loves dependence. And from that position, he does incredible things. So we don't need to be worried about the fact that we may not have as many people as we think we need to have in order to do some of the things that we feel God's calling us to do. We don't need to worry that we might not have the size of the budget to do that, because when you look at the story of Gideon, you see a God who does things that are absolutely incredible, who shatters the odds and defeats armies and brings giants down uh, against all natural expectations. We need to refresh ourselves in the story, because we serve the God of Gideon. He's our God too, and he's with us, 
and he's leading us, and he might just want to do something extraordinary among us in our own day that we wouldn't even believe. The final story that we're going to look at this morning is the story of David and Goliath. Uh, this is a really well-known story in the Old Testament. Sometimes that makes it hard for us to hear its message with the kind of force uh, that it requires. We tend to become numb to its meaning. But if we really open our minds and our hearts to this story, it has a profound message of what it is to exercise faith in God no matter the size of the obstacles that we're facing. It speaks right into our present situation. 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 17, a really well-known story. You learned this one in Sunday school. You colored in pictures of it. It's uh, the story of David and Goliath. And it's so easy to uh, be so familiar with the story that we're kind of numbed to its message. So we need to ask the Lord that we would hear this with fresh uh, ears this morning and, and just be tuned in to its message. Once again, things aren't going well for Israel uh, in this story. Uh, the Philistines this time are the, are the nation that they're up against, this people, this formidable enemy that lived on the coast and they came into battle against Israel. And the Philistines had the secret weapon, uh, this massive warrior, this about nine foot tall by uh, estimations, nine foot tall guy named Goliath. Uh, he was a very, very serious uh, opponent and he also had uh, a lot of arrogance to go with it. He had a real attitude and he did not uh, take kindly to being challenged and opposed and he basically saw his strength as greater than the strength of any person that could ever stand against him. So each day uh, you have this field, this, this great valley in Israel called the Valley of Elah and uh, Israel would draw up on one side and the Philistine army would draw up on the other side and Goliath would just march right into the middle of this valley, this huge field, and he would just torment and taunt the nation of Israel. He says, uh, where, where is this verse? In verse 10 of, of 1 Samuel 17, he said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. This would be a daily routine for him. He'd just march onto the field and just defy the God of Israel, defy the armies of Israel, mock them and taunt them and jeer at them and challenge them in you know, tongue-in-cheek way to send out some warrior and, and just threaten that he was going to feed them to the birds. And we can feel a bit like this too, can't we? We almost feel taunted sometimes by the challenges that you face, the difficult economic times. Uh, just as we try and move forward, uh, just as we try and move forward as a church, you can feel like the economy turns, things get harder, there are more challenges, uh, almost as if God himself you know, is, is trying to hold us back and you can get your head in a space of thinking that and feeling like we're being taunted by these challenges that we face. And the Israelite army, when they heard Goliath taunting them and mocking them, their hearts would melt with fear and they would take off absolutely terrified. Then you have the entrance into the story of a shepherd boy named David who comes along. He's just bringing lunch for his brothers who are in the army. They're in the military and he brings a bit of food for them. He goes up to the front lines. He talks to them for a while. And while he's there, while he's uh, talking away to his family, Goliath does his usual routine. He comes out and he says, I defy the armies of Israel, I defy the God of Israel. And David hears this. And he says to his brothers in verse 26, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? It's interesting the way David sees this. What he's done is really chosen to reframe the whole situation. Uh, you, you think about everyone else in this army of Israel. How did they see Goliath? Huge opponent, formidable enemy, unbeatable foe, uh, terrible uh, force to be reckoned with. How do they see themselves? Small, weak, 
insignificant. They, the, the, this was their frame. This was their perspective. This was their paradigm for viewing the whole situation. David comes along and he chooses to see the whole thing a different way. He chooses a different lens to see the situation. He looks at Goliath and he doesn't see a formidable enemy. He sees this uncircumcised Philistine. In other words, just a rank outsider. Someone well beyond the community of God who stands against God, who's an opponent of God, and therefore has absolutely no show against what God's planning to do. He doesn't focus on the bigness and the greatness and the strength of Goliath because he has the eyes of faith. He has God's perspective, and he sees this uh, through those eyes of faith and sees this is no great warrior, this is no great enemy, this is just this outside, filthy person who uh, God is against and who is against God. And how does he see Israel? How does he see his own army? He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He sees himself and his people as those who are on the Lord's side, as those who have God's power behind them. And friends, there's a great lesson here for us, that we need to choose how we respond to these situations that come against us by choosing the way we frame them. We need to choose to see the way that these, this economic crisis uh, comes against us, not as this unconquerable foe, not as this devastating problem that is going to uh, cripple our faith and weaken us and prevent us from moving forward as individuals and as a church, but as something that is simply a setback in the life of uh, perhaps our own families, but is, is nothing compared to the power and the might of God, is nothing compared to what He wants to do. And we need to start seeing ourselves and our own faith community as being those endowed with the Holy Spirit as being those who stand with God and are on His side, who, who receive power from on high. And if God is for us, again, who can be against us? We are those who are being led forward by God. We've got to choose what type of paradigm we see the situation with. And we've got to ask ourselves continually, how does God see this situation? Is He daunted and intimidated by the economic situation that's going on? Is God buffeted around by the economy? He's not. He's rock solid. And so he will lead his people faithfully on if they trust in him. So David volunteers then to go out and fight this battle. And he says to King Saul, I'll take this guy on. Uh, he can't even fit Saul's armor. Uh, it just falls off him. It's so massive. So David just goes out into this field by himself against this massive opponent, Goliath. And when he gets out there, he says these words to the uh, giant who, who just taunts David. And uh, he, David says to Goliath, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Doesn't that just put steel in your bones, hearing those words? You know, the world, Satan may come against us with all kinds of things. He may come against us with economic crisis. He may come against us with health problems. He may come against us with relationship difficulties. But we come against him in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel. That should strengthen you, friends. That should put a bit of steel in your bones and, and, and stir a heart of faith within you that there is nothing that the world can do to us that can rob us of that faith in the empowering presence of God. And so it was that David stepped out into this valley and he went to a creek bed and he picked up a stone, a stone that's a bit like this one. I brought this stone along. When I was in Israel, I went to the valley of Elah. I went to the creek bed, which could have been, we don't know, could have been the same creek bed that David picked up his uh, couple of stones in. And I sometimes, I have this stone sitting on my desk in my office and sometimes I pray with it, uh, holding it in my hand to remind myself that this isn't a fairy tale. This isn't just a fable. 
This is a real story that happened one day in Israel when a shepherd boy stepped out into that field and brought down a mighty giant with a single stone. Against all the odds, he did it. Not because he was anything particularly great, but because the Lord was with him, because the Lord was on his side. And here's the reality, friends, as we reflect on these three stories this morning. We still serve the God of Joshua and Caleb. We still serve the God of Gideon. And we still serve the God of David. God hasn't changed. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He's still wanting to come and work mightily. He's still wanting to work his purposes out among his people. He's still wanting to do great things. He's still wanting to move mountains and to bring down giants and to defeat enemies on behalf of his people. And we need to choose to focus on the strength and the power of our God, even in the midst of these incredibly challenging times. We need to allow ourselves to fix our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ, and have that unshakable focus on him. Because here's the reality. In none of these three stories did God simply act apart from his people. They didn't just stand by idly while God intervened for them. He didn't just zap their enemies. He didn't just kill Goliath without David's involvement. Every time it takes the active participation of God's people. And that's what the Bible calls faith. It's that willingness to step out in obedience. It's that willingness to hear the voice of the Lord calling us on and then to respond by saying, we will step forward, we will obey, we will do whatever it takes and we trust you, God, with our very lives, with our families, with our finances, we trust you to protect us and provide for us and we will step out boldly in faith. That's what it requires from us. And faith, it's a glamorous thing to talk about and you can have all kinds of lofty rhetoric, but it's not particularly glamorous when you really get right down to it. It does hurt. It's not easy. And for us in particular, next year, as we look at these challenges we've got ahead, acquiring a new property, carrying on a, a media ministry, they are going to take finance. One of the big steps of faith for us as a church as we head into next year, in the middle of a recession, is are we prepared to increase our giving? Are we prepared to increase and release finance to God, trusting Him to provide for us, trusting Him to protect us, and trusting that He will move us forward? That's when it really hurts. Everyone wants to talk about faith. Uh, nobody wants to write the check. That's the hard part. You know, it's not as lofty and glamorous. It's gritty. It's difficult. It's not easy. And it does hurt. But it's faith in the almighty provision of God, trusting that He's in control. He's done these incredible things through history, and it may just be that he's wanting to do something incredible through this community. And he's asking us, are you prepared to step out? We're going to define in the next few months and years who we are as a church. Whether we're just a bunch of people that gather on Sundays and take off and live our own lives. Or whether we really intend to make an impact for the kingdom of God. Whether we really intend to move forward as a community. And I'll tell you this. Each day when I drive to work, I drive past a rest home uh, at the bottom of Birkdale Road. And sometimes when I drive past that rest home, I think, you know, when I get there one day, assuming I get to some sort of rest home, and I'm sitting there in this rest home playing bingo all day with none of my own natural teeth, and, and you're sitting there on the other side of the table playing bingo with me, uh, how do we want to reflect on the life that we've had together? How do we want to reflect on, on the, the type of church that we were together. I don't want to sit around that table on that day saying, I wish I'd taken more of a risk for God. I wish I'd been a bit bolder. 
I wish I'd stepped out in faith a bit more. I wish I'd been a little less tentative and a little less cautious and a little less focused on my own natural fear and anxiety about the future. And I just wish that I'd listened to God and just been able to be led by faith. Uh, I, I don't want to have those kind of regrets. I want to be able to look back at a story of incredible faith by a local church on the North Shore who listened to the Lord and said, yep, we, we, we'll step out, we'll follow you, God, no matter what it takes. I would love for us to have a story as a church that we could set alongside the stories of Joshua and Caleb and Gideon and David in the Bible, the story of a church that in the middle of really difficult times exercised faith and stood by while God did some incredible things among us. I'd love a story like that to be able to tell my kids, and I'm sure you would too. And that is ours for the taking. Uh, we will define faith by how we act. We will define the type of God that we really believe in by how we step forward in obedience to him over the next little while. It's not about being reckless. It's not about being irresponsible. It's about hearing God's voice leading us and saying, we will step out. We will obey. We'll trust you because God has incredible plans for us as individuals, as families, and as a church. And he's simply asking us today, will you exercise the faith of Gideon, the faith of David, the faith of Joshua? Will you be the next in line? That's our choice, friends. Shall we pray together?